The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is David schreiner Khan. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Henry. It's great to be here. Oh, great to have you. Uh, Dave is an entrepreneur. He's a leadership expert, a podcaster. Uh, he began his 30-plus year career as a chemical engineer, though. We're going to chat about that. And then he transitioned into the nonprofit sector. And in 2006, he launched his own consulting business called Tend Strategic Partners. That's T-E-N-D, Tend Strategic Partners. Uh, so at 10 Strategic Partners, he works with owners of successful companies who keep hitting roadblocks, and he created the TEND system to reduce stress, decrease costly mistakes, and manage the resources companies need to smash through the plateau and uh, achieve that next level of success. In fact, he is the host of a podcast entitled Smashing the Plateau, and on this show, every expert and business owner he interviews is uh, someone who has something in common, which is they all know how to fix the problem that get most business owners stuck. In other words, as he says, smashing through the plateau. It's a great podcast, great show. I listen to it all the time. Uh, so on this episode, Dave is going to share with us his entrepreneurial journey. As I mentioned, he started out as a chemical engineer. So how did he get to where he is now? And he's got all kinds of tips and advice. We're going to dive into a few topics, particularly this system that he's developed to help small business owners break through those plateaus and just general tips and advice on how to better run start and grow a business so with that said david and david you live in the new york city area is that right or in the city that proper? is correct in the city great well great david schreiner khan welcome to the show thank you henry it's my pleasure to have you so what part of the city are you in uh, so our office is right in the heart of Midtown. We're right near Herald Square. So if you watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade, it's like right around the corner from us. And um, and I live in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. Wow. Excellent. Fantastic. We were just up there this summer. Love the uh, Midtown area. All right. So let's get started with your entrepreneurial journey. So you studied chemical engineering in school. Then you went on to Cornell and got a master's in chemical engineering. So you knew you were going to be a chemical engineer, I'm suspecting. Well, you know, life is not particularly linear. Did I know I was going to be a chemical engineer? Um, I studied a lot of engineering and I worked as an engineer for a while. So um, I guess that was my path. I'm not sure what I knew. <laughs> it's you, a long time ago. Yeah. Did you like it? Um, yeah, which is why I studied it. I, yeah, you know, I, I think like many people, 
the the choice of what to study in college was really based on where I seemed to do well in high school. I did better in math and science than I did in humanities subjects. So it seemed sort of natural to um, to study either science or engineering. Yeah, and that's why I was asking if you like it, because a lot of people, as you just said, you were good in math and science, so hey, chemical engineering, good paying jobs, good career opportunity, let's do that. So it sounds like maybe it was more of that, not necessarily, oh my gosh, chemical engineering is my passion in life. Yeah, it definitely was not a passion. It's more like this seems sensible. Um, yeah, and, and the truth is, with anything, do we really know what it's like till we actually start doing it? Not right. really. Right. Now, the Columbia University uh, business degree, did that come later or did you go right right after university? So to... that – no, that, that was actually after spending, um, uh, I guess, about 20 years in the nonprofit sector. Wow, okay. I had an opportunity to be part of one of um, the business school's institute programs um, for executives. And so, um, yeah, so I went through that program and then got a certificate in not-for-profit management. I see. Very interesting. All right, but stepping back a moment, so you did obviously have a career as an engineer. You worked at DuPont and various other places as a project engineer, a process engineer. At what point did it begin to hit you? Because then you made this shift into nonprofit. What happened or what led you to make that switch career-wise? Well, um, you know, as I said, it, it wasn't necessarily a passion but it was it was okay um i did you know did pretty well in in, uh, in school did pretty well in my jobs and um it wasn't like i was setting the world on fire um and the trigger for me was after um about two years into my second job as an engineer um i had just gotten a, a great performance review and a big raise and a month later my boss calls me into his office and he says David I have bad news for you you're out of a job and I'm like what um, he said well there's not enough business which was true that it was a consulting firm we had I don't know probably 100 maybe 150 engineers and the kind of the sector that this company was in um, the the business had taken a, a, a deep nosedive and um, and a, the whole bunch of people got laid off and I was like you know what's what's wrong with this picture and I also looked around at how the decision was made about who stayed and, and who left and it was quite political had nothing to do with me personally I was like the victim of somebody else's politics and I'm like do I really want to be in a situation like this again? Not particularly. Maybe there's some other way I could pay the bills. That might be actually, then I started thinking about the passion part. Well, well, what is it that I'm really passionate about? And what, where can I make a difference in the world? And that's when I ended up going into the nonprofit sector. Yeah, it's such a, such a story. And it's, we hear that so much. I know you do as well, I'm sure, on your show, David. This this, these types of events that happen to us in the corporate world that wake us up to an extent. And then exactly like you described is exactly that happened to me, not just once, but twice, where here you are just toiling away, doing good work, but you're not part of the right power group and the politics are not in your favor and out you are, right? Regardless of everything you've done or the effort you've put in or 
what you've helped a company accomplish. It doesn't matter. It, it no, just doesn't matter. It made no difference whatsoever. And like I said, it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't my politics. It was it was higher up. It was like but anyway, yeah. you know, that's that's a long time ago and uh, people people around me who saw the path that I was taking thought I was crazy. Um, it's interesting how the naysayers show up when you're doing something that seems um, a little out of the ordinary. And they thought you were crazy because here you were, I guess, in their view, throwing away all this education, all this experience to go do something completely different. Right. And I also took, a, you know, compared to what I was earning as an engineer, I took a big pay cut. Yeah, I have to, to imagine. That's in, in my thing. first job. Yeah. I, I was earning probably half what I had as an engineer. So, wow. it was a, you know, it was a big risk. Were you, though, in a financial position, I have to imagine, that allowed you to make that transition? Or did you just, at that point, adjust lifestyle and, and living uh, radically? How did you make that transition? How could you afford to go to half well, of what you were making? Yeah, well, the, the short answer is um, it was a financially a very difficult time. And whatever choice I would have made, it wouldn't have cured the situation all that quickly. Um, and some some choice had to be made in some direction in any case. Um, and looking, you know, looking back on it years later, it was it's like a, a blip on the on the journey. Interesting. So, you know, and, you know, you mentioned that I have a podcast, so I've interviewed, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. And and as, as you know, Many people go through um, go through times that are where there are rough spots, and um, people, most people, recover from them. And right. The, the, right, so the question really is how you how you navigate those narrow places, and what does the result of the recovery look like? Yeah, and and the takeaway also is David that. After time, as time goes by, you look back at it and it's nowhere near as traumatic as it seemed when you're in it, right? And, and for those who are listening who might be approaching that point or maybe are there, I get it. It's at that when you're in it, it's it's monumental. But later on, you look back at it and say, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And look at where I am now, right? Um, what kept you going, though, in this new path? Was it because you now felt like, oh, right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I enjoy doing. Is that what kept you on that path as opposed to a year later saying, you know what, I guess I better go back and make better money? Um, well, it, it was definitely way more rewarding. And um, it was a lot harder work. I was really, I mean, doing work in, in a community setting, there's like never, there were never enough hours and there's always more to do than you have time for. Um, in, in a lot of ways, it's like being an entrepreneur. Um, and the second thing is my salary actually recovered within a few years because mm. um, I, I did well and moved up into management and leadership roles and, and actually you know, financially was just fine. Yeah, fantastic. So then what leads to, in 2006, starting your own consulting firm? What led to that? Well, the truth is... So going back to that first incident that I mentioned when when um, when I left engineering, one of the thoughts that I had at that point was, so so I wouldn't be in a situation where somebody else was controlling my destiny. Wouldn't it be great to do my own thing? And I didn't grow up in an environment with entrepreneurs. I didn't really know anybody who was an entrepreneur. Didn't know much about it. Um, 
And you know, I'd thought about that on and off for for a long time and came to the conclusion that at, at some point I probably was going to want to try to run my own show. Um, and, um, and so the next pivot was just that where I went out on my own and started my own business. And, but, and by that point I, you know, knew a lot more about management and leadership and, um, and, and what it would take to run a business. So management, leadership, what it would take, but, but I got to suspect David, there was, there was more to it as you've alluded to, was there, did you lack the confidence or was it just, you didn't know because like you said, you had no influences to kind of say, yeah, you're ready, David, go do it. Tell me a little bit more about that. What held you back until you finally were ready to make that transition? Um, yeah, it wasn't actually as dramatic a change as the first one that I described when I left mm, engineering. Right. It, it was it was really much more of a natural progression. And I wasn't really technically changing fields the same way I did before. Um, I was changing the environment in which I earned a living. So rather than than performing management and leadership tasks myself, I became an advisor to those who performed management and leadership tasks. Yeah. Yeah. And then you make a great point that you had already gone through that dramatic change and all of the ridicule and pressure and, and all of the, all of that, you had already dealt with that when you left the engineering career. Right. And, and in my role in the nonprofit world, I, I had been a C, CEO, COO, CFO. So I knew what it was like to, be the top decision maker in an organization. I knew what it was like to um, to manage the finances of the organization. I knew what it was like to manage the people of the organization. The only difference is that it wasn't technically my organization. Yeah. So when you look back at it now, do you would you have done it sooner, or was the timing just about right? Well, I think if I had had the the the, the support. I would have done it sooner. I would have done it back when I was in my 20s. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. And then the podcast you launched in 2014, uh, Smashing the Plateau, what led you to starting the podcast? Um, well, that was actually was a, an evolution that grew out of the blog that we had started a few years before that. And the, the blog was started just so we could reach more people. And the podcast was like a bump up from the blog to be able to reach more people and, and reach people by creating some content that had more depth than we could, than we could produce with a, with a written blog. Cause it's, as, as you know, cause you have a podcast, that's why we're here. <laughs> um, it's a very different level of, um, level of content creation and you get into a kind of depth of of conversation and deal deal with um people's thoughts on an emotional level in a way that you can't do in text yeah yeah you can engage so much in, further and yeah particularly in short form text that's right that's right right yeah. if you're if you're writing a book it's different a book you can really kind of spend some time getting into the emotions of the story and the situation. But in a blog post, even a long form blog post, it's kind of hard to do. But in the podcast episode, you can actually in, in 
you know, 30 minutes, which is really common for these kinds of podcasts, you can actually get right into some deep stuff with people. And it's amazing what happens. And I'm sure you find the same thing as, as a host. Um, when you start unpacking what is really driving uh, a guest to behave in a certain way, make certain decisions and take a certain path in life, the, the stories are quite phenomenal and they can be really inspirational for the listeners. Yeah, agreed. And to your point, I don't know how you could do that as anywhere near as effectively in a written form, except for, like you said, maybe in a book if you were interviewing someone, but it's so much more accessible as well. Um, and it's just such an efficient form of communicating that and sharing that with others. Yeah, and I also really like talking to people and I like talking to new people all the time. So a podcast is a great channel for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it because I could talk about business all day long and that's what it affords us to do. All right, let's get into some of the topics. Uh, part of the approach you take is what you call the TEND, T-E-N-D system. Can you please introduce what that is and a little bit of how that works? Sure. So um, one of the, first of all, let me talk about the reason why uh, people often get stuck and they're at a plateau. Um, you know, if you look at somebody who's in a leadership role who may be, let's say, 40 or 45 years old, who's been doing what he or she's doing for a while. So clearly they've had some successes, but um, business and, and life are not linear and we all have ups and downs. So if you're at a point where you're not growing or you're not creating the kind of success you want, um, and, and as a matter of fact, you may be um, – things may be going in the wrong direction. You look ahead to what you want to achieve before you finish your working life. And there's a gap and the gap is not either not closing fast enough or not closing at all. What do you do? Um, and for, for many people, the thoughts that go through our heads um, kind of perpetuate the place where we are because there's fear, there's frustration. We look at people around us who seem to have achieved breakthrough success and we wonder why we aren't there. Um, so all those thoughts actually, I find, prevent us from getting started on something that is going to make a difference. So the first step is really, how do you create an achievable plan that is as simple as possible to get started? And I think getting started is the hardest part. Mm. Uh, so step one is create the plan, uh, which involves some strategizing. Step two is, and, and this, if you think about business and life as being iterative processes, this is the beginning of a cycle. So step two is you gotta, you're going to start, and you're starting is you're starting to implement some kind of change in your business. As you start to implement the, the, that change, um, keep in mind what is it that you need to measure to understand how successful you are. And success is not an absolute, it's a scale. You can be more successful or you can be less successful. So step one is implement. Step two is measure. And then step three is look at those metrics and learn from them. So step three is learn. And step four is improve. Um, so that iterative cycle is implement, measure, learn, improve. So it really is five steps altogether. One is strategize, two is implement, three is measure, four is learn, and five is improve. Mm -hmm. So that you can go back and implement the next step. 
and just continue. And you got to make sure that you're doing it in a consistent way so that you keep making progress every day, every week, every month, and every year. And it seems to me, David, that also what this is doing is I know for me when I get paralyzed or clients that I work with, it's because we have this huge obstacle, this huge goal or whatever it might be. And this process helps me break it down into more achievable steps. And then we keep iterating until we get there. Is that, am I understanding it right? That is exactly right. So if you, yeah. So you think about what it is you want to achieve by the time you're done with your story, which could be 10 years from now, could be 40 years from now. And then look at what is it, what is it that you need to do over the next maybe 30 to 90 days to get started on that path. Mm-hmm. And the other challenge I you alluded to that we all struggle with is because it, it needs to also be relative to where I'm at and what's realistic instead of this external comparison that I might be making to, well, look at how this other person or this other business or my friend at a certain level. And that paralyzes us, paralyzes us as well, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. You should also keep in mind that breakthroughs may seem like breakthroughs, but if you dig behind the scenes and look at what happened leading up to it, generally it's lots and lots of very small steps and small pivots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting and amazing how a lot of folks, and this is not, it's not a negative thing, I think it's just one of those things we're maybe not taught to take a big complex problem and break it into its pieces. I gotta think that a lot of your background, your schooling, your engineering background, prepared you for a lot of that way of thinking? Am I onto something there? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. So essentially, what, what we do with clients is we, we start off with a long-term view and then just reverse engineer the process. Okay, so if, if you wanna, let's say your, your business is generating half a million dollars a year and you wanted to generate $50 million a year, what will it take to get there? And it's not like what will it take to go from half a million to five million, but what will it take to go from half a million to three quarters of a million, mm-hmm. or maybe just another, you know, another hundred thousand dollars in sales a year, or what will it take to tweak the business model a little bit so that your net profit is a higher percentage. It's also, I got to imagine when you work with clients, a bit of a reality check sometimes that maybe the business that you have and or the business model that you have isn't going to get you to this unrealistic goal that you have. Um, There are a whole bunch of different factors that could be leading to a plateau. Business model is one. Uh, changing, um, Changing market conditions is one changes in the way people behave at work is a big one today, right? We're, we're now in the gig economy and we're in the global economy. It's very different than it was when I got out of school. So how, how do people interact? Communication is a huge issue. There's so many different ways to communicate that real um, effective communication, I think is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk to that a lot. In fact, you talk about the importance of listening skills, which is, of course, tied to communication. Talk to me about that and how important listening skills are. Um, listening is, I think, one of the most important skills that a leader needs to know. 
And it is so much more powerful as a leader if you spend your time asking questions and listening as opposed to telling people what to do. And it's, it's a much more empowering process. And, and in addition to that, um, nothing hurts more than a sense that the people we care about aren't really listening to us. So if you want to gain the trust and engage people, listening to them is ve is a very powerful technique. It makes me think that sometimes perhaps as, as entrepreneurs and small business owners, we believe that the only way we can retain our level of respect or position is if we come across as if we know it all and that that maybe hampers us from actually listening to others. Do you, do you see that, that maybe ego comes into play? All the time. It's ego is one of the biggest impediments to smashing a plateau. Mm -hmm. uh, you, humility is very powerful. So humility, listening. If you're if you run a company with employees, spend some time walking around and talking to the employees, pe particularly the people who are on the front lines or the the lower end of the organizational hierarchy. Your um, your your front line people will know a lot more about what is needed to be changed than you will. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they won't hesitate to tell you if you are a, a true active listener. And then you, you touched on it as well, that what that does is, is that instills in people a sense of pride, a sense of belonging, a sense of being heard. And sometimes that's all people want. The, the studies that have been done year after year about employee engagement show the same thing, which is salary and compensation are not the most important motivators for employee engagement. F um, feeling a sense of belonging and being given the tools to succeed are much more important. I agree, and I found that to be the case. I want to go back, though, to the, the defining success and reaching, smashing through that plateau. Give me a little bit more about how you work with clients to help them define that, a, a realistic, achievable success mark, and, and how you go. What are some of the questions that you ask? How do you help them frame that so that it's a realistic success goal? Um, well, I usually like to start by looking at what has been successful for a client in the past? What, what has worked for you? What has worked? Where have you felt like you've really achieved something? Where do you think your business has had the most impact on the people you serve? And what is it, if you could paint a, a picture of great success for your company long into the future, what would it look like? Who would your clients and customers be? How would you serve them? What kinds of problems would you solve for them? And start to unpack where the core strengths are in the business. And particularly where the core strengths are of the people who are in the business. Because the business is all about the people who, who run it and who work in it. So I think you really have to start with understanding the history of success and then looking out into the future and trying to paint a picture of what greater success would look like. Yeah. And again, I have to come back to the question I asked it. I have to imagine sometimes when you un they uncover that, you realize there's a disconnect there, that, that what's realistic for the business, like you said, you can, you can change things, 
but there's only so much you can change, I got to think. And then maybe it's you you personally as the business owner have to realign and say, okay, is, is this really what I want? And maybe the question I hadn't asked myself is what do I really want? Where do I really want to be in that period of time? Right. Well, one of the things that we find out when we start with these questions about what we want success to look like is that exactly what you just said, Henry, which is that there's a misalignment currently and people are spending their time doing things that are not leading to as much success as the leadership in the company desires. And that's what creates this stress and that's what creates you, you're further in this muddle and you're even, it's even harder to break through that plateau then. Right. So, so as an example, if you look at a small business, often you'll find that the business owner is spending time, I don't know, let, let, let's say we take a business like a, an accounting business and it's a firm with multiple accountants and the person at the top really likes developing relationships as opposed to sitting and crunching numbers. Yet, he or she feels that in order to produce the right kind of work, time needs to be spent crunching the numbers as opposed to developing relationships. And it may turn out that your business will do perfectly fine by delegating the number crunching to other people and developing relationships will help you grow your business substantially, particularly if you're good at it. Mm -hmm. And if you're good at it, you probably enjoy it, which means you get better at it. And part of it is what you're touching on there is this, it's again, goes back to the ego of no, you know what? Somebody else probably can do it better than you. In fact, but letting go of that sometimes is, is a hard thing to do for a small business owner. Yeah. Especially if you started, like in that example, likely you started as being a solopreneur and you did it all, right? And so you're, it's hard to then segue into, and that's why you hit those plateaus, because sometimes we don't have the skills and we need somebody's help to get us to get to that next level. Right. The, the critical shift points that businesses hit as they're growing um, very frequently have to do with insufficient delegation. And as the company grows and there are more and more people in it, the communication methodology that worked when your company had five people is not going to work when your company has 50 people. Right. right. So you as the business owner can easily supervise five people and you can talk to five people every day, but you can't do that with 50 people. So you need layers in between to make sure that the communication about vision, strategy, tactics get filtered down to everybody and that when there's a problem it also gets filtered up to you as the business owner yeah and that's this plan that you talk about the plan for how we're going to get there it might be that we need to implement systems it might be that we need technology it might we need another layer of of management or, or less management whatever it might be that's this plan that you're talking about that you help them put together to get to that next level yeah it all it very often involves creating some structures the smaller companies have less structure. Bigger companies need more. How do you create structure in a way that, that still will foster the kind of innovation that a smaller company will have naturally? That's a challenge. 
How do you, how do you, um, entrepreneurs in particular are often very resistant to structure. That's why they want to be entrepreneurs. They don't want somebody else to impose structure on them. Well, guess what? If you're an entrepreneur and you're running the company, um, your company might need structure, but you can help create the structure in a way that it works for you as opposed to it being imposed on you by somebody else. That's right. And once you get that, in fact, what it does is it frees you up to realize one of the great benefits of entrepreneurship, which is the freedom of time, then you get it, right? That you it, you might have a, trans, a transition phase that's painful, but once you're able to have the system and other people that you've delegated to operate and run the business, then you can actually enjoy and reap some of the rewards of the business. Correct. All right, let's uh, take a shift here to, to more personal. For you, as you look back now in, in your life and in your business life, what do you think have been some of the keys to your success? Well, one of the keys for me ha has been being with like-minded people and being in communities that are supportive of, of the people who are in the communities. Um, and so as an example, early on in my, uh, my current business, I joined a business networking group and that was really instrumental in developing relationships with new people that were, were, um, really became deep relationships. So many of the people that I met, and this is going back about almost 10 years ago, many of the, the people that I met became good friends and I talk to them all the time. I see them all the time, rely on them for advice. They rely on me for advice. Um, even though I'm not in that group anymore, it was the, the beginning of, um, of a lot of relationships. And I've since been in, in other kinds of uh, communities that, that are supportive. I, I find that those kinds of relationships are very powerful. And, and now in my business, I run some of those too. So uh, I've learned how powerful they are. I've learned what it takes to, um, for them to work well. And I really enjoy helping to facilitate that process. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, we've touched on this many times in, in my show. And it's this point that as entrepreneurs, we can get very isolated. We can be very lonely. And so this being with like-minded people helps us in so many ways. It's so powerful. Um, I think related to it is a quote that I found somewhere online as I was doing the research. Uh, quote, when you share your gifts, the world prospers, end quote. So that, I have to believe that's kind of a driving or has been a driving philosophy for you in your life. Uh, very much so. I believe that every individual has gifts, every team has gifts, and every organization has gifts. And I think when you share your gifts, the world prospers. And I've seen it happen over and over again. David, what do you love most about what you do today? When I see um, a, a client, um, sort of like when a light bulb goes off and they realize that um, they can do things differently and help them fulfill, fulfill their passion, help them achieve their goals and feel better about themselves and help other people who are being supported by their business. That's pretty powerful. And that happens because of the kind of work that I do that happens with regularity. And it's, um, 
it's a really humbling experience and very transformational to watch others as they transform their thinking, transform their behavior, and then um, empower themselves and empower those around them. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's uh, life-altering and, and long-lasting impacts that we're talking about there. Yes, yes. And it, it, sometimes it's little things. I, I, I had a, um, a case, I guess it was about a year or two ago, I was asked to, uh, to give a guest lecture at a, at a local um, uh, higher education institute. And I was talking about um, entrepreneurship for clergy, which is a, kind of an unusual topic. But I right. think that, that, that particularly in today's world, um, especially in America where there's separation of church and state, if you want to attract followers, you really have to have some entrepreneurial thinking as part of what you're doing. And, and I said to, um, to one, I said to the class, one of the things that, that um, you might want to think about is what does, uh, what does a successful outcome look like for the people you're serving? And so one of the members of the class who I see from time to time said that she changed the way she teaches a particular program where at the beginning of the program, and it's a, a program for families, she asked them what kind of outcome they would like at the end of the program. And then she designs what she does in response to what they say at the beginning, as opposed to coming in, this is my curriculum, this is what I'm going to do. And she said it has totally changed the level of engagement of the people in her program. Mm. So that's, you know, that's from one little thing that I said in a class. That's pretty powerful. Very powerful. Very interesting. So uh, give us the elevator pitch, the brief uh, summary of, we, we've touched on it, but what 10 Strategic Partners does, what are the services that you offer your clients? So um, the, the, the service that we offer our clients um, are really about personalized advice on how you can smash a plateau if you're feeling stuck as a business leader. Um, and we, we have a free tool that we use with an initial discussion, and I'm, I'm happy to do that with anybody who's interested. Um, it's a discovery session. There's no cost to it. it. takes about 20 or 30 minutes on the phone. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's my elevator pitch. How, so how do they best reach you for this discovery session offer? Um, they can call our office and make an appointment. It's 212-731-0770. I'm still a big believer in using the telephone. Mm. Um, they can also go onto our website and uh, all our contact information is there. They can contact us by email. Um, it's tendstrategicpartners.com. They can listen to the podcast, which is Smashing the Plateau. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. And our Twitter handle is at tend sp t-e-n-d-s-p fantastic and we'll have all of that on the show notes page for this episode if you missed any of that and a, a very specific link on there to take advantage of this discovery session it, you'll have to make a phone call <laughs> like like david said but uh we'll have a reminder of that for you and uh, other information and links on the show notes page right there's also a link on our website where there's an online schedule you could use as well perfect so we'll have a link to that that'd be perfect all right, uh, books. I know both you and I are big readers. What's uh, a book that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, one of my favorite ones, if your listeners haven't read this or haven't heard of it, I would strongly encourage 
um, reading it. It's a pretty pretty easy read, but a, I think a very um, kind of transformational idea. The One Thing by Gary Keller. Uh, and particularly for people who are stuck, the premise is 80% of our success comes from 20% of our activity. So it's all about the power of saying no. And what that then opens up for you in a way of opportunities because you have the, the time and the bandwidth and the resources to take advantage of other things that come your way. Exactly. Great recommendation. We'll have a link to that book as well on the show notes page for this episode. So we'll wrap it up here now. David, the uh, last parting thought or piece of advice to our listeners. Don't be afraid to start something and make sure you do actually start it. And get, get help to make sure you finish, get to the finish line on whatever it is you're starting. Yeah. Yeah. That getting help component is something you mentioned early on that you wish you would have had more of that, someone that would have given you more guidance or that you could have leaned on back then, right? It's very important. We, you know, we, we can't, we don't live in isolation and we can't achieve success on our own. It's just too hard. Yeah. Well said. David, this has been a great pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for joining us and for sharing all this knowledge. Thank you for inviting me, Henry. This is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you are listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.